So once I had that missing piece, everything changed. I started learning techniques to heal myself from an emotional perspective, to clear depression, sadness, anger, fear, whatever, any negative, uncomfortable emotions. And as I did that, my energy came back. Welcome to the Sensitive Success Podcast. I'm Frida Carbo, founder of Sensitive Success Circle, the mastermind for sensitive coaches and changemakers who want to create success in their way with the help of their sensitivity. I have spent the last decade recreating my life. I moved from Sweden to New Zealand with my husband and two kids, working online, creating the life and business that I love with a mission to help others do the same. One of the things I learned is that we have so much wisdom inside when we learn to trust and take aligned action. And even though we're responsible for our journey, we don't have to do it alone. I do this work because I'm committed to helping highly sensitive, introverted, intuitive coaches and changemakers to do the work they are called to do in a way that works for them. I know it's possible and creates so many ripples. My intention with these episodes is for you to be inspired, empowered, and to know that you're not alone in your business adventure. If you haven't already, come over and connect with me on Instagram at Frida Carbo. Thank you for being here because it means that you're creating sensitive success too, which is precisely what the world needs. Welcome. Today we have the pleasure of talking to Kim Knight. She is a health and personal development coach specializing in chronic illness recovery, emotional alchemy and transformation of consciousness. She has trained in over 20 cutting-edge health modalities and healed herself from numerous chronic health conditions without medication or supplements. Her training in energy healing and qigong has given her great insight into the incredible self-healing capacities of the body-mind. I'm really excited to have Kim here today. So welcome, Kim. Thank you, Frida. Lovely to see you again. Yeah, you too. So yeah, tell us a bit more about your journey and how you come to do what you do. Well, it was never planned. I had a dream of working in the film industry, and that was what I was following finally, because I I had that dream when I was about 20, and I was living in London, and I used to walk past this film production studio every day on the way to work, and I wanted to go in and, and ask, how do you get into the film industry? But I didn't have enough confidence, I suppose the word is, to do that. And then 10 years later, I found myself after I'd moved to New Zealand at a workshop, which was all about discovering and following your passion and purpose. And as a result of going through that workshop, I came out with the commitment that I was going to explore how to get into the film industry. And I ended up doing a a one-week introductory course. And by 11 o'clock on the first day, I knew that was what I wanted to do and everything fell into place. However, At the end or towards the end, it was a full-time, full-year course. Towards the end of that training, I started to fall into depression again. And I'd been through a period of clinical depression several years before, ended up in hospital with what is classified as a nervous breakdown, which I later realized was actually a breakthrough in consciousness. It was a breakdown, but it was actually a a transformation of consciousness. But I didn't know that at the time. It took me about seven years to work that out and integrate and piece it together and understand what had happened. And actually, that had profound ramifications later on for, for my work. But I started to get depressed again. And then that led into getting more and more tired. And then finally, nine months later, while I was in my first film job, 
being diagnosed with chronic fatigue syndrome. And I walked into work one day and quit without even, you know, knowing that that was what I was going to do that day because I was just so exhausted. And I just couldn't put another foot in front of the other. I couldn't continue on. So that brought me to my knees, you know, metaphorically speaking. And I had no idea that it would take me another 10 years of basically not being able to work and searching, searching, searching for answers, going to multiple therapists, trying over 250 different therapies, just about to give up, but not, you know, somehow keeping going. And finally, after 10 years, finally, the missing piece fell into place. And it was all about the fact that I was suppressing my unhappy emotions, but I didn't know that I was doing that. And I was exhausted because I was using all my energy unconsciously to suppress and not feel what I was feeling and the feelings that were wanting to come out and, you know, be dispersed, so to speak. So once I had that missing piece, everything changed. I started learning techniques to heal myself from an emotional perspective, to clear depression, sadness, anger, fear, whatever, any negative, uncomfortable emotions. And as I did that, my energy came back. And then because during that whole period of that 10-year period, I had gone to so many therapies and even trained in some therapies, uh, not because I wanted to be a therapist, never any intention to be a therapist, just wanted to heal myself. But I ended up being trained to a professional level in some of those therapies. Then once I was about 95% better and able to work again, I thought, well, what do I want to do? And I did actually try to get back into the film industry, but it's a very difficult industry to get into. It's who you know, not what you know, whether they like you. It's like an inner circle. Once you're in, you're in. But it's really hard, like a sperm getting into an egg to actually get in. You know, (laughs) you have all these, (laughs) what is it, the sperms flying around and only a few will actually, well, one will get into the egg, you know. So I tried it for a year. And after a year, I just, I finally came to a point of like, I'm going to have to give my dream away. And I was gutted. And then I thought, well, what do I want to do? And previously, I'd done a lot of PA work, admin work, and I just didn't want to go and sit behind a desk as a PA anymore. And I thought, well, I got all these trainings, you know, why don't I give it a go? Uh, And that was how I started to, you know, to work as a therapist. It was, it wasn't like, hey, I want to be a therapist, and I've got a business plan. And, you know, the way that some people do it, it was very, haphazard and just followed my nose. Yeah, it's interesting how our journey leads us to where we are and how our own teachings and what we need to learn from for ourselves, how we can help others with that as well. Yeah, they say we teach what we need to learn, right? (laughs) (laughs) We learn what we need to teach. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. We talked a bit about sensitivity before we started the recording, but how would you define sensitivity? I find it quite a difficult thing to define, and I'd like to hear your definition in in a moment. And this is the tricky thing is that whatever subject we're talking about, we all interpret words differently. It's Mm -hmm. really fascinating and the cause of a lot of problems. So for me, I suppose, and I can only mainly speak personally, yes, I've worked with a lot of clients and noticed similarities, but everyone is different. For me, I've always been very sensitive to my surroundings. And for example, 
I can sense that if a piece of furniture is moved one inch, it will make a difference to the energy flow. It just feels different. Or if it's if you rearrange the furniture in a room, it feels completely different. Now, that has always come very naturally to me. And funnily enough, the very first training that I ever did uh, in, in the natural health field, so to speak, was feng shui, feng shui. People have different pronunciations. And I went along to this introductory talk, like a couple of hours one evening. And by the end of the evening, I said, thought to myself, oh, but I've been doing this my whole life. But I didn't know it had a name. You know, mm-hmm. I'd always rearrange my furniture in my room in you know, my parents' house. And then when I was at university, my furniture was, you know, was always in a certain way and it felt good to me. So I've always been very, very sensitive to the energy of surroundings. And when I did do that feng shui training, right at the end, we had to do some assignments. And I remember going around to a friend's house and I asked her to not be there because it just felt right again, an energy thing. She needed to not be in the house. And I went around and did an assessment of her house. And then I sat down to read what I'd written and I'd actually described her. (laughs) And that was really interesting, too. Interestingly enough, I feel like in many ways, I'm more sensitive to the external, in other words, what's outside my body rather than what's internal. Now, I have done a lot of training on becoming more sensitive internally, but and I've made a lot of progress in some areas, but not much progress in other areas. And I'll explain what I mean by that in a moment. I do feel that, you know, some people seem to have an ability to be more sensitive to their outer surroundings, you know, just be like walking into a house knowing, you know, the, that's the way I bought my houses. I, I just walk in and go, yep, that's the one. Now, there's no logical, intellectual thinking process that's gone on there. It's just walk in. It feels right. <laughs> and and I remember doing that in, in London. And I used when this woman was a estate agent back in, and this is before I got into personal development, natural health, whatever. I, I, would, I was quite a, what I call unaware person uh, until the age of 30 when I had this big awakening experience. And this real estate agent was taking me through you know, houses or flats to buy a, a flat. You can't, you know, houses are a bit expensive in London, even back then, you know. <laughs> and I'd walk in and I'd literally just get across the threshold. I go, no. And she'd go, well, don't you want to see inside? You're here. No, no point. Waste of time. And then when I walked into the one that I did buy, I just walked in and went, yep, this is the one. Now, I find that quite interesting. I have the same thing, though, also with people to an extent. Well, actually, to a great extent. For example, I remember a few years ago when I was looking for a flatmate and the house that I lived in had a corridor and you get to the end of the corridor and turn the corner and there would be the front door. And the front door was made of glass, but that rippled glass that you can't see through, but you can sort of see a shadow the other side of the door of the person. This person came round, you know, to meet me to see the house. And I walked down the corridor, turned the corner looked at the shadow through the door and my body just said, no, not the right person. And then my mind said, well, hang on a minute, you know, let's, let's open the door and, and meet this person, open the door, double no, you know. So, again, I mean, you know, this is intuition in a tutor at work. Obviously, that's very useful if we notice it and follow it and trust it. And that's the, the key. 
I mean, for example, when I first came to New Zealand, I was in a very toxic relationship, but I didn't realize that at the time because I was so unawake and asleep. (laughs) And it took me a year to work out what was actually going on. and, And it was an emotionally abusive relationship. And he would say things that were mean and nasty. And my gut would immediately tense and turn and crunch up inside. And my heart would also do the same thing. But then my head would come in with some sort of excuse or reason. Well, why should I give him another go? Why should I keep going in the relationship? And so there was this battle between the head and the body or the head, the heart and the gut. And since then, like many years later, I trained in multiple brain integration, which is learning how to discern between the three brains, because we do have three brains and they literally are brains. A brain is a network of neurons with intelligent purpose. And so we literally have neurons in our head, brain, our heart, our gut. And it's our job to listen to the feedback and the communication that's coming from those three areas of our body. Chinese philosophy, they call it the three dantians. And I've done a lot of work on that. And it was interesting how that started. And I suppose this was probably alongside the getting in touch with my emotions, which was a whole other journey of starting to learn what am I feeling? Where am I feeling it? How would I label that feeling? Why is that feeling there? What is happening energetically in my body when I have a particular negative or positive feeling? Which organ is that feeling being generated from? Getting really, really precise with emotions. That came later. First of all, what came was this getting in touch with the feelings inside of me uh, in these three brains, although at the time, this was years before I learned to name them as three brains. And it was actually when I was ill with chronic fatigue that they started. And I was unable to work. I was at home, sort of housebound quite a lot of the time. And I was standing in one of my rooms one day and this voice came into my head and it really wasn't sort of like me normally talking. It felt like it wasn't me, but maybe it was a part of me. I don't know. I've never had an experience like this before or since. And this voice said, how would it be if you only did what you feel like doing? You just follow your feelings, you follow your intuition, and you just do what feels right for you. And how about if you do that, you agree to do that for a year and not just a month, you know, or a week. It's like you commit to doing that for a year. And it was like I shook hands with whatever this was, this voice. I literally, in my mind, I felt like I was shaking hands and making a contract to commit to doing that. And I walked out of the room and I walked into the kitchen and there was a pile of dishes in the sink. And my head said, oh, that looks really messy. You should wash the dishes. And my heart said, but I don't feel like doing that right now. So I thought, well, what have I just committed to? Just I've just committed to doing what I, you know, what I feel like doing, even though, I mean, some people say, well, that's a bit lazy, isn't it? You know, a bit selfish or whatever. But I just made this this contract. (laughs) So I thought, well, what do I feel like doing? And the thought came was, I actually feel like sitting and reading a book right now. So I went into the lounge and started reading a book. And about 15 minutes later, all of a sudden, there was this feeling inside of me, now I feel like doing the dishes. I want to do the dishes. 
So I got up and I went into the kitchen and I did the dishes quite happily. It didn't feel like a chore. And so I did this with every little thing. Consciously, I was doing this however many times a day, you know, one makes decisions or has thoughts of doing things and just tuning in all the time to what does it feel like inside my body? Am I getting a yes or a no, like a green light or a red light? And sometimes it can be an orange light, which isn't so easy. What feels right for me to do right now? And I did that every day, every day, every day, week, month. And by the end of that year, I was doing it automatically. And I realized later, many years later, oh, that was how I trained myself to to listen to me, (laughs) you know, paying attention to me because one of the other reasons why I got chronic fatigue and whatever was because I wasn't listening to me. I was doing what I thought I should be doing, what I thought other people thought I should do, putting other people first before myself. And these are all classic, classic habits of people who end up with burnout, exhaustion, because the other side of chronic fatigue is overdoing it, you know, doing too much, pushing oneself too much, trying to be perfect, etc. Yeah, definitely. What a powerful shift to really feel into to what feels good to you. That's amazing. And something that we, I think we all need to do more. Well, I can definitely agree with that. Because having coached hundreds of women in how to heal, how to be true to themselves, You know, it always comes up that this is an issue that needs to be addressed and one has to get in touch with, A, what one is feeling emotionally, but also what what is going on in three brains energetically in the body and what feels right for oneself and trusting that, learning to trust oneself. That's a big one. Yeah, definitely. So if we look at sensitivity and I use the term with highly sensitive person, HSP, coined by Elaine Aaron, with the acronym of DAS, depth of process, O, easily overstimulated or overwhelmed. E is empathy, emotional reactivity, and S is sensing the subtleties. They have found that it's one in five that has this personality trait. It's not um, diagnosed because it's so common. So it's actually 20%. And they found it in more than 100 species. So it's not just humanity. And it's a survival trait. But I love what you say about sensitivity and that we all experience it differently. And I so agree with that because just because our brain works differently we can still experience and react to it differently. So with that, do you see a correlation between sensitivity and chronic illness? I think it definitely comes into play. I was always very sensitive to how people were reacting around me and taking things probably more personally than other people with a, as I say, thick skin might or somebody who's not so in tune with their emotions. And therefore, I was being more emotionally and energetically stimulated by what was going on in the environment. And that's having a direct effect on the nervous system and putting the body into the stress response. And this is a big problem with all illnesses, being too much uh, and, and even constantly in the stress response. Uh, which means, like you said before, protection. It's come, everything comes back to survival, security, protection. And so if we're always on guard and worried about what might happen, 
either emotionally or physically, then we're in the fear state and the body can't sustain that. It can't stay healthy when it's constantly in that state and eventually it's going to start down and getting symptoms. And the problem is until we learn about ourselves and learn how to protect ourselves and how to build ourselves up energetically, which is all possible, then, you know, we go through life being at the mercy of this sensitivity when actually there is a lot that we can do to to change it. I mean, even, for, for example, Wi-Fi. Sensitive people are usually more sensitive to Wi-Fi, wireless radiation, EMF, electromagnetic fields, and I'm one of those people. And, I mean, I won't go into the long story of how I discovered that, but it was quite fascinating how, because it was it was, how can I say, it was through the experience that I had, it was very clear without me even knowing that I was being affected by Wi-Fi. And when I discovered what was causing, you know, my brain fog and mental unclarity and difficulty working, it was 100% clear it was the Wi-Fi. And at that point initially, because that was when Wi-Fi first started coming in and Wi-Fi routers, you know, the in thing, and I chose to not have a Wi-Fi or wireless, you know, router in my house, unfortunately, because I was on 10 acres, nobody else's Wi-Fi was affecting me. So I was Wi-Fi free and very happy about that. And then two and a half years ago, I moved. And one of the reasons I'd put off moving actually for a few years was because I knew that as soon as I moved, you know, it was going to be hard to get away from Wi-Fi because it had grown so much in that time. And I started preparing myself, you know, sort of building up my resilience, one could say, to, to Wi-Fi by putting it on for an hour or so at a time and seeing how I felt and sort of managing that. But also one of the big things I think that's made a massive difference for me is practicing Qigong because Qigong is all about managing one's energy and increasing the quality and the quantity of one's qi, one's qi reserves. And when our chi reserves are good quality and good quantity, then we're able to cope with anything or anything much better. We'll think clearer, we'll have more physical energy, and we'll feel less emotional. So it's very, very important. So I built up my resilience to Wi-Fi through Qigong practice. We don't have to be, you know, at the mercy of, of our sensitivities or our, you know, whatever it is that's going on for us that's a challenge there's so much that we can do and the most important thing is to not see ourselves as a victim which is a whole topic by itself because the reason that we feel victimized or powerless there are so many reasons for that and again it goes back to what's happened to us personally in childhood i've had to work on a lot of that and uh, also the collective consciousness the issue of power and control collectively. <laughs> yeah, there's so much. But if someone is listening to this and is having fatigue or depression or burnout, where do you recommend them to start? That's a really tricky question. I can only really say what I would do if somebody came to me. Yeah. And what I found was because of my own journey of going to multiple therapists and trying multiple therapies and getting a little piece of the puzzle from each person, but not ever the whole puzzle. What I realized eventually 
apart from the fact that I already explained about the emotion, you know, the emotions being a big part of the missing puzzle and also overdoing it, pushing oneself, exhausting oneself, which brings in the adrenal fatigue part of chronic fatigue, because that is a biological reality that one drains one's adrenals. And that's because they're actually in the stress response too much and the cortisol goes up and then it completely depletes. For me, what I realized was to actually this saying comes from my original Qigong teacher, which is just so powerful and so important to understand with any healing, is that you don't heal an illness, you heal a person. And you don't heal a health condition, you heal a person's life. So we've got to take the focus off healing, trying to heal a health condition and put the focus on healing the person which means taking their whole life into account. So now when I work with somebody, it's non-negotiable. If they have a chronic illness, it's non-negotiable that we do a full root cause analysis, which is something that I've pieced together over many, many years. And it used to take me about six and a half hours to do the root cause analysis. So I do it over three sessions. And now I've got it down to a much shorter time. But it looks at that whole person's life from birth until now and joins the dots like those join the dot pictures you know that you you have as a child where everything's just dots you start joining the dots and you see a picture (laughs) so it's like that and then that once we see the different pieces of the puzzle that have gone into why the body has gone out of balance you know ended up with illness that gives us the clues very definite clues as to what is needed to undo the damage and restore health Yeah, love it. So powerful. And yeah, really to look at the whole person and not just, as you say, not just a small part or heal the person and not the illness. Love that shift of thinking. So if someone wants to know more about you and your work, where can they find you? The best place to start is my main website because I have different websites, but the best place to start is artofhealth.co.nz. Perfect. And is there anything else you would like to add? Well, I think it's wonderful what you're doing here because it's a really important topic and a topic that some people are talking about, you know, professionally, but not many. And there's a lot of people that need help. And I would just say never to give up hope and to know that there are many things that we can do to manage the sensitivity and even turn it into something that is a strength rather than a weakness. You know, it doesn't have to be a flaw. It doesn't have to be something that is holding us back. And actually, I don't believe it is meant to be something that's holding us back. We've got to learn, you know, why do I have this sensitivity? And it could be A, because, you know, there's unhealed trauma, but also it could be, well, this is this is part and parcel of who I am at a, a spiritual level. And I have gifts, you know, that come with that. And so if I can learn to take care of myself so that my body is healthy and in balance and in harmony, then I can use it for my benefit and the benefit of others. Yeah, love that. It's such a superpower when we let it. So thank you so, so much for being here and sharing your journey and your wisdom with us and also for the work that you do. It's so important. Thanks, Frida. You too. I hope you enjoyed this episode. This podcast is put together for you to see what is possible and how to use your sensitivity to create success in your way. If you know anyone who would find this conversation useful, please share. 
And if you share this on social media, tag me in and I would love to reshare it. Come over and connect with me on Insta at Frida Carbo and tell me your biggest takeaway from this episode. Thank you for listening and remember to keep shining so that those who need your help can find you.